spoken. I want to direct our attention tonight to Proverbs 13.12. Proverbs 13.12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Many translations translate this first phrase in the same way. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The Living Bible in the second part reads, But when dreams come true at last, there is life and joy. The Benson Commentary says this in explanation of this verse. The delay of that which a man eagerly desires and expects is such an affliction that it differs little from a lingering disease. I don't know if there is any person alive who cannot identify with hope deferred. It is a common affliction to humanity. We experience hope deferred, we experience hope destroyed. In Gill's exposition of the entire Bible, he writes, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That is, the object longed for. If it is not enjoyed as soon as expected, at least if it is delayed any length of time, the mind becomes uneasy. The heart sinks and fails. And the man is dispirited and ready to despond and give up all hope of the desired blessing. It has been said of those in World War II concentration camps that those who hoped the most survived the least. Is that what you expected me to say? And it's true. Those who hoped the most survived the least. The reason? What this verse said. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And a sick heart makes life unsustainable. At the heart of this verse is the word hope. Hope is based on expectation, right? We are expecting something. We are hoping for it. There is anticipation. And there is going to be a result. Either fulfillment or disappointment based on the outcome. So, when we think of the word hope and when we look at this verse... Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We need to look at all that is associated with this word. 
there is hope. There is hope deferred. There is expectation or expectations. There is fulfillment. There is disappointment. Hope originated with God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, and he called God the God of hope. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, he said, May God himself, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope originated from God. God is the God of hope. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the things that he does, he endeavors to obstruct that which we hope for. He endeavors to make us despairing and despondent. But Paul said to the Romans that God is the God of hope. And as the God of hope, he fills his people with joy and peace as they trust in him. So that they overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is not only a God of hope, but the Apostle Paul says that there is a supernatural aspect about hope that we experience through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the Counselor and the Comforter. He can cause us to overflow with hope by His power. Now, that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? There is nothing negative in that verse. There is no hope deferred. There is no heart sickness. There is only optimism. May God Himself the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a caveat. Unfortunately, in our flawed humanity and our broken world, hope is often unrealized. Expectations prove to be unrealistic. And hope and anticipation gives way to despair, depression, and tragically, in many circumstances, suicide. As we said earlier, hope is based on expectation. We are expecting something to take place, and almost always we are expecting something to take place at a certain time. Or we have expectations concerning someone or something. And that introduces us to another issue. This is such a multifaceted thing. This has been on my heart for a number of weeks. But the more time I spent meditating and looking at Scripture and thinking of its impact on our lives, the more I realized that there is so much more to be said than 
what I can say tonight just in one time with you. But we cannot separate from hope this issue of expectation, and with it, expectations. And in our flawed humanity, we often mishandle expectations. Whether it's our expectation of something that doesn't materialize and we can't handle the disappointment, or the expectations that we have of others. We fall short of the expectations of others. We impose our expectations on others. And then we often follow that with our disapproval when they disappoint us and fail to measure up to our expectations. A number of our hymns that we love and we treasure and that have such meaning to us were written by William Cowper, and he is considered to be one of the greatest English poets of all times. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform are one of his, is one of his well-known hymns. Another one that is probably even more well-known to us is there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. But William Cowper's emotional life was one of great turmoil. At an early age, he was directed by his father to study law. Upon completion of his studies, however, the prospect of appearing for his final examination before the bar so frightened him that it caused a mental breakdown and an attempted suicide. He was later placed in an insane asylum for 18 months. And it was during that time that he began to read the scriptures and one day he read Romans 3.25 that Jesus Christ is set forth as a propitiation through his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And it was through the reading of Scripture that Cowper came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and began to sense the forgiveness of his sins and the release of guilt. That was 1764, and he was 33 years old. Three years later, he moved to Oney, England, a small village where the Anglican church was pastored by John Newton, whom we know as the former slave trader who wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And for the next two decades, Cowper and Newton enjoyed a close relationship. Now, Cowper had come to know Christ, he had experienced forgiveness, and yet depression continued to plague him. 
And over the next years, he would even attempt suicide several times more. He would spend hours a day with John Newton, and John Newton would take him as he went on visitation. And then John Newton, recognizing the talent of William Cowper, had the two of them embark on a project of writing what became known as the only hymnal, named for the village in which he pastored. William Cowper would contribute 67 hymns to that hymnal. And it was those hymns that caused him to be known as one of the finest English poets of all times. And yet here's a man, even as a believer, who was plagued with depression, despair, and as a believer, even attempted suicide several times over. You know, we can't underestimate the depth of our flawed human nature. It was Indu who introduced me a number of years ago to the perspective, the understanding that, as he said, within the Nigerian culture, there are five acceptable careers. My youth group has often talked about this. It is clear to them as teenagers what those expectations are. But overheard at our church picnic just a couple of weeks ago when we came back together was this interesting conversation between one of our teenagers entering high school and one of our young adults. And they were talking about the expectations within their culture. And this young adult narrowed it down even more from what Indu had explained to me. She said, in our culture, there are three things that you can be. You can either be this or this, or you can be a disappointment. We often impose our expectations upon others just as William Cowper's father imposed his expectation upon Cowper that he would be a lawyer. Husbands impose their expectations upon their wives, and wives impose expectations upon their husbands. Parents impose expectations upon their children. Why can't you be like your big brother? A sibling gets to high school and a teacher or a coach says, I hope that you can be as good as your brother. He was an outstanding athlete. Pastors impose their expectations upon their congregations. I think of a church where I did some work for a contractor who was a member of that church, and he was enthusiastically telling me of 
the three-year and the five-year plan that the pastor had for the church and what they were looking forward to over the next years, the financial commitments that everyone was making. Before that five years was up, that pastor was gone to another church. Congregations impose their expectations on pastors and maybe even more so on pastors' wives. I think of a pastor that Georgia and I know who, for 20 years, lived under the criticism of the women of that church where her husband pastored because she did not meet their expectations. Why can't you be like our previous pastor's wife? Why can't you be like the pastor's wife over here? We impose our expectations on other people's children. We expect them to be like this, that, or the other. So when we are talking about hope, which is based on expectations and outcomes, and fulfillment or disappointment, we have to acknowledge that we impose expectations on other people. And as a result, other people disappoint us. William Cowper was a disappointment to his father. He couldn't become a lawyer. He had a mental breakdown. He ended up in an insane asylum. Even as Christians, we are really good at imposing expectations upon other people. Now, it is right and it is proper for us to have scriptural expectations of one another. We need to. But when someone fails to meet an expectation, we are not to judge that person except for the purpose of redemption. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, Brothers, if one of you is caught in a sin, failing to measure up to the expectation. You who are spiritual, restore such a one with a sense of humility in recognition of your own susceptibility to falling. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Many times our expectations are our preferences. They are not based upon the morality of the law, of, of the Word of God. They are not based upon the ethics of the Word of God. They are our preferences. How many times do we encounter a story of a parent who pushes and pushes and pushes his child to participate in a sport? that that child doesn't really want to participate in. But that parent has certain expectations of that child 
achieving in that sport and becoming famous. And so they push and they push and they push. Within the context of ourselves as a Christian community and ourselves as Christians, we need to understand that it is easy for expectations to fall into the category of legalism. There is something that we are prone to do to people all the time. And that is to place them in a circumstance where they feel that they need to earn our favor or our affirmation. If you do this, I'm happy with you. Parents make their children feel like that many times. You do this, I'm pleased with you. You do that, I am really displeased with you. And we make people feel as though they need to earn our approval and our affirmation. And if they fail to meet our expectations, we make our disapproval clear. They are acutely aware of our disfavor. It happens a lot in marriage relationships between husbands and wives and wives and husbands. When one does not do what the other wants, prefers, expects. And again, most often and more often, it is a preference. It is not a scriptural issue. We make our disapproval very clear. This kind of expectation is not only legalistic, pharisaical, we need to earn someone's approval. It's also an antichrist attitude and behavior. It is without grace. Let's think about grace for a moment. Our simplest definition of grace is what? Unmerited favor. And yet we often place people in a position where they need to merit our favor. And when the outcome is not what we want, they merit our disfavor. That is not the perspective of grace. And that is not the way in which the Lord has dealt with us. We are completely accepted in Christ, justified through the merit of Jesus Christ. And even without making any qualification through our actions and our activity, God has made us his heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Unmerited favor. And yet that is not the way that we often treat other people. 
Often what we expect of them has nothing to do with scriptural standards or Christ-likeness. It's just our own viewpoint. It is also an egregiously wrong behavior. We're playing the role of God in a way that even God does not act. We dispense favor on the basis of satisfying our personal demands of someone else. Again, we play the role of God in a way that even God does not act toward us. We dispense favor on the basis of you satisfying my personal demands or me satisfying yours. Again, nothing to do with Scripture, nothing to do with Christ-likeness, nothing to do with the fruit of the Spirit, nothing to do with the will of God, but rather our personal demands and our personal expectations. Let's go back to William Cowper for just a moment. William Cowper's father had an expectation of him to be a lawyer. Was it God's will for William Cowper to be a lawyer? Obviously not. God had gifted William Cowper to use words, to write poetry, and most of all, to write hymns that revealed the glory of the work of God through Jesus Christ. And when expectations and demands were placed upon William Cowper that God had not designed him for and created him for, there was a terrible breakdown. When he came into a relationship with a man who truly understood grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. A man who understood that grace was without merit and not based on one's expectation, but based on the work of Jesus Christ. William Cowper blossomed into what God had created him to do and who God had created him to be. Oh, how we fail, how we transgress when we impose expectations that are based upon our demands, our preferences, our likes, our expectations, but have nothing to do with the Word of God, the will of God, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So once again, when we think of this verse, we need to deal with the subject of expectations. And we need to deal with our own failure in expectations, because 
it's often that we impose expectations on others. The Bible is full of examples of people for whom hope was deferred. One of the first examples that comes to mind for me is Joseph. God gave Joseph dreams. And those dreams concerned his destiny. When he shared them with his father and his brothers, they laughed at him, they mocked him. When his brothers had the chance, their heart was so turned against him that they wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him at Judah's urging into slavery. When he got to Egypt, he tried to make the best of his situation. What happened? His integrity resulted in him being thrown into prison. There again, he endeavored to make the most of his circumstance. What happened? He was forgotten by those whom he helped, and he languished there for years. When you think of hope deferred, you can't help but think of David. David was tending sheep, enjoying the freedom of being away from his older brothers, who, as we see later on, when he came to visit them and inquired about Goliath, they didn't have such a favorable attitude towards their younger brother. And so I'm sure that David enjoyed the freedom of being out there with the sheep and being in the presence of God and writing words like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Experiencing intimacy with the Lord and the strength and the power of God as he defended his sheep from the lion and from the bear. But one day the man of God showed up in Bethlehem. And he was there at the direction of the Lord to anoint a new king over Israel because God had rejected King Saul. And he went through all the brothers thinking, surely this is the one, with God saying, no, this is not the one. I'm not looking at what you're looking at. I'm not looking at people the way that you look at people or people look at people. I'm looking on the heart. I'm looking at what I put on the inside. And so Samuel asked the question of Jesse, do you have any more sons? I've run out of all of them. Oh, yes, there is one. You know... We never think of him because he's the youngest, he's out there in the field, he's not doing anything except taking care of the sheep, which no one else wants to do. Oh, we'll send for him. And what did God say to Samuel when David arrived? This is the one that I have chosen. He is a man after my own heart. It's not long after that that Jesse sent David to take food to his brothers in their military campaign against the Philistines. And when David arrived, you remember well what he found. 
Every day the champion for the Philistine army would come out into the valley and would mock all of the troops of Israel who would hide in the caves and behind the rocks on the mountain, trembling in fear because they knew that they were no match. Remember, David inquired what was going on and his brothers scorned him. But David made his interest so known. What's going to be given to the man who defeats this guy? Well, the king's daughter. You won't have any taxes to pay. Boy, that would motivate us in just about any situation, wouldn't it? So David went out to do battle against Goliath. And that started David on an extraordinary career. And when he and Saul returned from battle, the women would be singing their praises as they marched back in. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But the expectations that Samuel had conferred upon David by anointing him as the next king over Israel became hope deferred. And for the next 13 years, we read the words of David as he experienced hope deferred. As he battled despair. As he found himself betrayed and abandoned. Times when he found that even all of his men turned against him and wanted to kill him because of the outcome of their circumstances. When he would pen words that undoubtedly resonated with William Cowper as he read the Bible. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Will you forget me forever? Have you forgotten to do good? As David would write, out of the depths of despair, out of a deep sense of darkness, David experienced what it meant, hope deferred, making the heart sick. Perhaps you can relate to what David experienced or Solomon wrote. Perhaps there are things that you are hoping for that have been deferred and deferred and deferred. Maybe it was something that you thought was just around the corner and then something happened to defer it. And then it looked like maybe now is the time. But then there was another deferment. Maybe it still hasn't happened. And maybe your heart is sick. In Psalm 22, a psalm that is profoundly messianic and very explicit in its reference to Jesus and his suffering, particularly 
his suffering during his crucifixion. David wrote these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Yet I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by people. David had hoped and expected to see what others who had trusted in God saw. And yet David had not. He had gone year after year not experiencing what his forefathers had experienced when they put their hope in the Lord. Hope deferred. David's heart was sick. God responded to his people who were sensing utter hopelessness. And in Isaiah 49, in verse 23, God said this to his people, Kings will be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. What do we do when hope is deferred? What do we do when hope is deferred so many times or so continuously that it makes our hearts sick, that we despair, that we are depressed? How do we respond to the expectations of people that push us into that place? where we do not sense grace, where we do not sense affirmation or encouragement. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 5 and verse 5, and he said, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Now we need to look at that verse in light of its context. Beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. For we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his hope into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now there is much to be said and we will note a couple of things from the previous verses from the context. But it's notable to me what Paul says in the next line. You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now that line is notable to me because when we go to Hebrews chapter 11 and we read about the people of great faith, we read that many died without seeing what they expected to see. In other words, they lived their entire lives with hope deferred. And yet, they died still hoping. So rather than ending up in the place that we are so susceptible to in our humanness, a place that is almost inevitable, at least for some people, because of this flawed humanity that we possess, or as the Apostle Paul said, these jars of clay in which God puts his treasure. Somehow these people were able to overcome. They may have felt at times, as David said, God, why are you so far off, and why have you forgotten, and why do you not answer? And yet somehow, they did not remain in that place, but they died, still hoping and still anticipating. You see, the ultimate hope of all Old Testament believers was for the appearing of the Messiah, the Lord's promised one. And every generation of godly people in the Old Testament lived for that appearing, the appearing of God's promised one. And yet generation after generation died without seeing the Messiah until just the right time. Remember that there was a man who was waiting, who was expecting the Messiah. His name was Simeon. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple at eight days for him to be circumcised and to be named, the Holy Spirit directed Simeon to where they were. And his heart leaped for joy, and he was filled with praise, and he exclaimed, My eyes have seen the one that I've been expecting to see. 
the Messiah. At just the right time, there was a time when God would bring forth what every Old Testament saint had died with expectation unfulfilled. So what enables us when hope is deferred to still have hope? A key to how we handle that circumstance is found here in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. It is how we view hope. It is how we view the process of hope being realized, even at the same time that it is being deferred. There is a process, and the process is important. The Apostle Paul had expectations. We get to the end of this letter, and he has been expecting for many years to see the believers in Rome. He's never been to Rome, and he has never seen the people that he is writing this letter to. And yet, for many years, he has been desiring to see this part of the body of Christ that he has prayed for, that he has encouraged, and that he is longing to be with face to face and share the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul will get there, and his hope will be realized, his expectation will come to pass, but not in a process that perhaps you and I would want to go through. There will be imprisonments, there will be trials, there will be a shipwreck, and finally, a house arrest in Rome. But his hope will be realized. What sustained him during this time? Well, the first thing that we see when we read this passage is that Paul is standing in the work of Jesus Christ. You see, others may impose their demands and expectations upon us. And they may make us feel as though we need to earn their approval. And if we fail to measure up to their expectations, we are sure to experience their disapproval. But remember what the Word of God says. Solomon tells us that the fear of man is a snare. And we need to come back to the fact that we have been justified through the work of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. And he accepts you and I unconditionally, even if others don't. And he approves of us, even if others make us feel as though we have never met their expectations and we have only earned their disapproval. I can think of people who lived a lifetime with a spouse 
And all they ever experienced was the disapproval of that spouse. They could do nothing right. They could not please in any way. What sustained them? It was their relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that will sustain us in every circumstance. And so we walk with Him, and we set our hearts on Him. And we live in the grace that He has extended to us. And the fact that He has never said to us, if you do this, this, and this, then I will make you my heir. I will make you a co-heir with my son. No. When you and I put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, he made us his sons and daughters. And he made us his heirs. The hope of the glory of God, the Apostle Paul said. Our ultimate hope is the return of Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I as believers need to have, like Simeon and those of the Old Testament, our ultimate hope being fixed on the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it wouldn't matter what else was fulfilled for us in this life if that hope would remain unfulfilled. That is what you and I want more than anything else. There is an old hymn that I like, and I can identify so well, and perhaps you can too. Weary of self, sin, and this world. There is a song by 10th Avenue North that it just feels like my song so many days and it's so many times over the last few years. It's simply entitled Warn, W-O-R-N, Warn. How often do you feel worn and tired of self, sick of sin and this world? Jesus, if you would just come get me. That is our ultimate hope, isn't it? The hope of the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul said that one day, because our citizenship is in heaven, we are awaiting and we will experience our Lord Jesus Christ coming, who will transform our glorious body, our earthly body, to be like his glorious body. The hope of the glory of God. In the meantime, there is a process. Paul said, and not only are we hoping in the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. That's a tough one, isn't it? It is hard to rejoice in suffering. But why should we rejoice in suffering? Because suffering produces perseverance. 
There is a spiritual dynamic at work here. When I accept where God has me, whether I feel that it's unreasonable or even unfair by the expectations that others have imposed upon me. When I'm in a circumstance where hope is deferred, what do I do? I rejoice in my suffering. Because as I rejoice in my suffering, it produces perseverance. I could grin and bear it. But ultimately, that's not going to sustain me. That is going to fail me. But when I rejoice knowing that God extends his grace to me and that God will sustain me where I am, it produces within me perseverance. Do you remember the testimony of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians in his second letter? Because of all the revelation that was given to me, there was also given to me a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh to afflict me. Three times I prayed and asked the Lord to take it away, but he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses so that God's strength and God's power might be magnified within me. You see, I can't develop strength and perseverance unless I also accept the process of hope deferred, of rejoicing in suffering. St. John of the Cross was one of the great Catholic fathers of the Middle Ages. And he wrote this masterpiece entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. And spoke of God taking us through these dark places where we need to trust Him in order for the work that He wants to do in our lives to be perfected. Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. On Monday, I was on a call with who has this call that God has given her. And she described how she is in a dark place right now. As she is waiting for things to develop, as she is longing to go, God has her in a dark place. She said, I'm not hearing the voice of God. I'm not feeling the presence of God. But I am continuing to seek God much in prayer. There is a perseverance that she recognizes that she will need. And she also understands that God is developing that within her as he is taking her right now through this dark place, through this place of greater surrender, this place of greater dependency, this place of seeking him more. At the beginning of our worship time this evening, we looked at that verse from Psalm 105 and verse 4. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. That's part of this process. 
that when hope is deferred, we don't just look at the fact that it's deferred, we look to the Lord. The hope of the glory of God. At the work that he is doing in me, we seek his face and his strength, even as Paul did, accepting the present circumstance, not as God's final word, but as God's process to strengthen me, to make me more like Jesus, to build my faith, and to prepare me for what God has for me. We live in His grace. We don't look to the affirmation of a circumstance or the approval of someone else. We rest in the grace of God. We trust the process of one who has revealed how deeply He has committed Himself to us. And we know that ultimately... Hoping in God does not lead to disappointment because God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The same Holy Spirit that as we trust in the Lord enables us to continue to hope and even to overflow with hope. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. And that is our apt word for this evening. I hope that it encourages your heart, for it encourages mine. We will always carry this hope in earthen vessels. And we will always experience this tension between hope deferred and the presence in our lives of the God of hope. But ultimately, hope in the Lord never leads to disappointment. It will lead to blessing and to encouragement. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for the examples that we find in Scripture. People who, for years and years, experienced hope deferred maybe even for a lifetime, dying, still looking for what you had promised. And yet they knew there was a fulfillment of hope that exceeds the lifetime of those who trust in you. And so they kept hoping. Lord, how we need you to sustain us, how I need you to sustain me. Because in this jar of clay, unless you sustain me, my heart will grow sick. So I need to look to you and your strength 
and to seek your face always. And I pray for each one who has heard this word, that their hearts will be encouraged in you. And even if hope is deferred in their lives or the expectations of people have caused them to fall into disapproval and condemnation, that your abundant grace will sustain and you will cause them to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the life of William Cowper and how you deposited your treasure in this jar of clay. And we have his story and his testimony as an encouragement. Father, we pray that you would help us not to impose our expectations and our preferences on other people, but to encourage them in you, in your will, your word, your purposes for their lives, and what will bring you the greatest honor and the greatest glory. Sustain your people, O Lord, with the one who is ultimately our hope and the hope of the nations. Our blessed hope who will soon appear, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.